So this morning, we continue our Lenten series, Redemption Road, in Jeremiah, chapter 26, verses 8 to 15. Now, the prophet Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah lived during a time when the people of Judah had neglected God's word to the point that they they forgot what, what faith and worship were. Jeremiah was continually calling the people of Israel back into relationship with God. He was continually calling for repentance for the people to turn from their evil acts and to live how God desired for them to live, how he intended for them to live. This past Wednesday at our our Lent service, we talked about how the river has moved. There's there's a bridge in in Honduras, and they, they built this bridge over a river. And as you can see in the picture, it's no longer going over the river. Like, well, why would you build a bridge where there isn't a river? What happened is a hurricane came in and dumped so much water on Honduras, so much water in that area that it actually changed the course of the river. And so the river actually now goes around this bridge. And so the bridge is is useless. It's not meeting the need anymore because the river has changed. The river has moved. And the river has moved here in America as well. Though we often hear how we pride ourselves on being a Christian nation, it's time to embrace the reality that the river has moved, our culture has changed, and the way that we have done ministry, the way that we have done outreach just isn't spanning that river anymore. It's not working the way that it used to. Though attending church once was was something that was was regular, being part of a faith community was, was the norm It's far from the norm now. That's not our culture anymore. As a country, we look more and more like Judah during the time of Jeremiah. Many of our neighbors, many of our coworkers have forgotten what faith and worship are. Maybe maybe they just never even knew. Many of them have never known. So as we walk through this text this morning, be mindful of the fact that our context is not that much different than Jeremiah's. In the passage, right before our verses this morning, Jeremiah has prophesied that if the people do not listen to the words of the Lord, if they do not walk in the, with, in the law that has been given to them, if they do not listen to the words of the prophets, calling them to repentance, that God will destroy their city and make it a curse on the lips of people from other nations. Let's pick up with our text this morning, Jeremiah 26, verses 8 15, we read the word of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking, all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. And when the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words that you have heard. 
Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord, your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. This ends the reading this morning. Let's, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. So before I took the call to move out here to New Jersey and serve this wonderful little church, I was living in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Minnesota. Now, Minnesota is known for a few things. It's, it's known as the land of 10,000 lakes, as is proudly displayed on their license plates. Though a real Minnesotan will make sure that you know that there are way more than 10,000 lakes in their great state. Minnesota is known for their accent, which is put on display in the movie Fargo and has been mimicked and imitated all over the country, much to the chagrin of Minnesotans. But should you use it in front of them, they won't say anything. They won't correct you. They won't let you know that it annoys them or that you're doing it wrong. Because the other thing that Minnesotans are known for is that they are nice. So nice, in fact, that their kindness has caused their state to become an adjective for kindness. And so we have the term Minnesota nice. Now, Minnesotans want you to believe that this is genuine. That the niceness, the kindness that they are known for is genuine. And sometimes it is. You know, sometimes that's a real thing. But once you've lived in Minnesota, once you've taken a peek behind the curtain, you know that there's a bigger game afoot. You see, Minnesotans, like the rest of us, are dirty, rotten sinners. And sometimes they're nice when they don't want to be. And sometimes they're just lying to your face, through their teeth, through their big, beautiful smile. Daniel, you know, you're not so bad at this basketball thing. So much better than I thought you were, man. You're getting it. Nice work. And then that night around the dinner table with friends, dude, that Stenberg is terrible at basketball. Dude needs to hang up them shoes and get comfortable in the stands because he is so bad, like so bad. (laughs) Now, most of the time, I don't think they're trying to be malicious. I don't think that they even realize how malicious they're being. Because when it comes down to it, they just don't want to be mean to your face. The truth comes out eventually, but they just, they don't want to be mean to your face. They don't want you to know it came from them. They want you to be happy. They want you to feel good. Now, it probably seems like I'm throwing all of Minnesota under the bus and then, like, backing up with them a few times. Eh, maybe a little bit, but not really. Because obviously not everyone there is like this. This isn't, this isn't everybody. But it is a stereotype of Minnesota, and should, and, and should you live there, you'll run into it. It's, it's a fact of life. You'll run into it again and again and again. They don't want to be mean to your face, so they lie. They lie because they don't want to hurt your feelings. They, they lie because they want to protect your self-esteem. They lie because it's acceptable in the culture to do so. 
They lie, they distort or diminish the truth for the purpose of being nice. It's their, that's their intent. It's their intent. They want to be nice. So let me ask you this question. In our Christian walk, in your Christian walk, do you ever struggle with the same issue? Christians are supposed to be nice, right? So, do we struggle with giving the hard truth? Do we struggle with giving the hard truth? Jeremiah didn't, poor guy. That was practically his job. He delivered hard truths on the regular, like all the time. That, that's what he did. In the passage right before our text today, he walked into that synagogue and proclaimed for all to hear, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in the law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Repent, Jeremiah is calling out. Repent, return to the Lord. And he will relent from sending the destruction that is coming. Repent, and the Lord will forgive. Repent. And the people got mad, man. They wanted to kill him. They brought him before the officials, the leaders of Jerusalem, and said, This man has got to go. Like, we've got to get him out of here. He's committed heresy and treason, and the punishment is death, so kill him. We're done. We're done with this guy. And how does Jeremiah respond? What's his response? He says, this is the word of the Lord, man. He sent me with this message. He says that you should mend your ways. Stop worshiping idols. Stop turning your back on God. Repent. And he will relent. He will stop the destruction from coming. And furthermore, I know you've got the power power and the ability to kill me. Like, I get that. I know that, but if you do this, if you kill me, know this, you will be spilling innocent blood. You will be committing murder, and that murder will stain you and the rest of the inhabitants of this city, for it is the Lord who sent me to you. It is God who gave me the message that I have just proclaimed for all to hear in the synagogue. Wow. Jeremiah delivers the hard truth. He does so recognizing what the response will be, recognizing that this was going to anger some people, that to some, to many, the message he was sent to give was offensive. Was offensive. And church, we need to learn from Jeremiah. Because whether we like it or not, whether we want it to be or not, Our message, the gospel, the good news for all mankind is also offensive. How can that be, you may ask? How can something that is, in essence, by its very definition, good news, the best news, how could it be offensive? The first way the gospel is offensive is that the gospel states there is heaven and hell. The gospel states there's heaven and hell. The gospel tells us that there's a place of eternal torment and there's a place of eternal joy. Now, some struggle with this idea. How how could a God of love possibly create and then send to a place of eternal torment 
people that he loves. How could he send people that he loves to this place of eternal torment? A few years ago, Rob Bell published this book, and it's it's called Love Wins, that champions this thought, that champions this idea. But to get there, to get to this idea, we have to twist Scripture. We have to decide that Scripture, that some areas of Scripture are lying, and that love wins. Because hell is offensive. How could God send people he loves to hell? Isn't it just better to believe that we all end up in heaven someday? How could he send people he loves to hell? And make no mistake, he loves everybody. So anybody ending up in hell is still somebody that God loves. He doesn't hate those he sends to hell. He loves them dearly and wishes that they weren't there. Isn't it better just to believe that we'll all end up in heaven someday? Isn't it an easier truth to tell? The gospel truth is that heaven and hell both exist. A second way the gospel is offensive is that the gospel tells us that we can't get to heaven on our own. Nobody wants to hear that they're not good enough. Nobody. Ever get cut from a sports team? Ever been told you weren't a good enough singer to make the choir? Ever been told someone that you are attracted to is out of your league, that you shouldn't even try, you'll never be good enough for them? Or or maybe you'll never get the job you want because you can't ever qualify. Nobody wants to be told you're not good enough. Especially here in America, where we're told from a young age that we can be anything we want to be. You know, we, we need to dream big. We need to take our shot. I remember seeing a, a shirt, which we would now call a meme, I guess. They meme it all the time. But, but it said, shoot for the moon, and if you miss, you land among the stars. This is America. We can be what we want to be. But as we get older, we realize that life has a way of splashing some cold water on those dreams. That no matter how hard I try, I'll never be six foot tall. No matter how hard I try, I'll never uh, be, be able to, to, to play basketball. I'll never be able to dunk a basketball. I wanted to do that so bad when I was a kid. Like, dunking a basketball was a big thing for me. Like, if I could dunk a basketball, I would make it. I will never make it by that standard. Like, that's not a thing. I need a trampoline, maybe, and, and a much lower rim. And then I've got a shot. I'm never going to dunk a basketball legitimately. You know, we live in a country where hard work and dedication will take you very far. But not all who strive for it will get to be president. Not all who work and study for it will be an astronaut or a fighter pilot. Not all who dream about it will play a professional sport. But those limitations are physical, typically. You know, they're outside our control in many cases. But our goodness, how good we treat people or mean to treat people, how honest we are, or at least how honest we intend to be, How acceptable we are before God. How dare you tell me I'm not good enough? How dare you tell me I'm not a good enough person to get to heaven? I haven't killed anyone. I haven't done any number of of heinous acts. I'm as good as you or anyone else in my neighborhood or family. Better than some even. So, So how dare you tell me that I'm not good enough to get to heaven on my own by the works of my hand? 
by what is mostly the intent of my heart. How dare you? That's offensive. That's offensive. The third way that the gospel is offensive is that the gospel tells us that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter if you're a good, moral, Buddhist, Taoist, Muslim, Hindu, Shinto, atheist, or belong to any other of the millions of belief systems. The Bible is clear. John 14, 6 reads, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This isn't an all roads lead to heaven kind of deal. There is one road. One road to heaven. The rest lead to hell, to damnation. And that's incredibly offensive. Because we're telling everyone else that they're wrong. That their belief system is wrong. That their grandma is wrong. That what they've grown up believing or or what they have come to believe through a faith journey of their own. You know, we're saying all of that is useless when it comes to appeasing God's call for justice. When it comes to appeasing God's wrath. Because there is only one way to do that. There is only one person who could appease God's call for justice and that is his son. Jesus Christ. The only person who could lead a perfect life, who was free from the defect of sin, the only person capable of living a life that would justify a relationship with the creator of the universe, is Jesus Christ. And that's what he did. But instead of living that life and then riding off into the sunset or being taken up to heaven in a, in a fiery chariot or disappearing because he was just too good for this world. He made an incredible decision. He made an incredible sacrifice. He decided, he chose, Jesus accepted the sin of the whole world as his own. Even though he was perfect, even though he was blameless and had no reason to feel shame, he became sin. He became shame and took all the sin of all mankind for all of time and took ownership of all of it. And then he walked up the hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the redemption road. He walked in our place and allowed himself to be put to death for our sin. Allowed himself to be separated from God because of that sin that he took on himself. A person who knew no sin, but became sin for the rest of us. That we might have a relationship with God. And then he died. But then he rose again, defeating sin and death. He rose and conquered all of it so that through him we might come to the Father. Through faith in him, our relationship with God is restored and we can enjoy that relationship during our short time here on earth and forever 
in heaven when we leave this place. That is the gospel. And though it is offensive to our pride, it is the best news we could ever hear for our need. Yet because of the offense of the gospel, there are some, and and we've fallen into this trap on occasion ourselves, but but because of the offense of the gospel, there are some who have tried to, to water it down. To make it a little more palatable. There, there are some who are afraid of offending others. And so they make allowances. I mean, you know, God uses the, the heart, right? Or he sees the heart. So, so he knows that deep down my friend is a good person. So I, I can tell them they're going to heaven, right? Even though they don't believe in him. Or this person truly believes that following Buddha is the way to please God. Surely God will be happy that they are trying to please him, right? Surely a God of love will bring this person who is so devout into heaven one day. Or God is a God of love. How could a God of love who professes to love everyone send anyone to hell? So we're all going to heaven someday, right? Hell is just a a place we talk about to scare people into belief, right? We cannot polish the rough edges of the gospel. It doesn't matter if the polishing is designed or intended to help a person come to faith or, or to be more open and receptive to the message. Because when we polish the rough edges of the gospel, we cheat the cross. We diminish the cross. We say that there was no reason for Jesus to die. We could do it on our own. We didn't didn't need him. When we play fast and loose with the truth, no matter how offensive someone might find the truth, when we play fast and loose with it, we are telling Jesus that we didn't need him. That all his suffering was for nothing because we could do it on our own. We could participate. Which, to put it mildly, is simply untrue. And to put it clearly, is an insult to the living God. The gospel must remain offensive to the pride of man. But that does not mean that we have license to be offensive when proclaiming the gospel. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, 15, as we read this morning, says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. In love. We're circling around again to to loving our enemies, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Loving those who are frustrated by our beliefs. Loving those who are challenged by the scripture. Loving those who are offended by the gospel. Like Jeremiah, we are called to speak the hard truth, and we are called to speak it in love. And it's important to remember that every hard truth the Bible has for my neighbor, it also has for me. It has that for me. Just as my neighbor is imperfect, so I am imperfect. I need the gospel. I need the hard truth that I'm not good enough. I need that constant reminder because I'm human. And it's easy for my pride to sneak up and say, hey man, you're doing pretty good today. Well done. 
You resisted that particular temptation. You know, you, you watched your tongue and your eyes and your thoughts so well this afternoon. Look at you go. None of us. Those of us in the pews, and particularly this sinner standing in front of you, want to admit that we aren't good enough. It's offensive. And so the truth of Jeremiah's words ring ever clearer in my heart. Repent. Repent of your pride. Repent of your sin. And rest in your faith in Jesus Christ. Rest in his work on the cross. Rest in his death and resurrection. And so therefore rest in the restored relationship that you have with the living God. The creator of the world. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Praise God for his love for us. That he sent Jesus to do what he did, that we might be reconciled to God. Praise Jesus for walking Redemption Road. How our God loves us. Man, how he loves us. So as much as I love Minnesota, my friends there, and the time I spent there, as Christians, we do not have the luxury of being Minnesota nice with the gospel. The truth is too important. The souls of the lost are too important. Though we cannot cheapen the glory of God, we can mock it. And we mock it when we try to cheapen it by polishing the rougher, harsher, the offensive edges of his word, of the truth, of the gospel. Instead, let us rest in our forgiveness and boldly proclaim the truth in love. That as we we join Jesus on his mission to bring about his kingdom that he might use us in wonderful and amazing ways in spite of our brokenness and often because of it. Amen.